Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome back to New Books and Spiritual Practice and Mindfulness, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Christy Adloff, a host of the channel. Today, I'm talking to Elizabeth Cronin about her new book, Mindfulness Journal for Mental Health. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Thanks, Christy. And congratulations on your new book. That's very exciting. Thank you. It is. So I've had an opportunity to like start the book and look at the book. And I'm wondering if it might be helpful for the listeners to first understand the difference between mindfulness and meditation, because I think oftentimes there can be a lot of confusion about those two terms. Yes, definitely. Sometimes people will even use them interchangeably and they don't really work that way. Um, So meditation is actually, it's it's a practice. You can have a mindfulness practice as well, but meditation is something that you put time aside to do, and you maybe do a chant, or you have a mantra, or you might do like a walking meditation, or you might do um, a, a particular loving kindness meditation. There's some intent to doing a practice in a way that's meant to bring you back into the present moment through whatever meditation you're doing mindfulness is a way of being present and it's a way of experiencing whatever's happening to you right now, non-judgmentally and without getting into your head and thinking about the future or the past, just really staying focused on this moment right now. So a mindfulness practice or a meditation practice, both of them are vehicles to becoming more present, but a mindfulness practice is often something you can do, you can, you can take an everyday activity um, or event and make it into a vehicle of being present. Does that clarify the two? It does. I think basically mindfulness is like shorter activities potentially, and you're more focused on the now, bringing you back into the now with those activities, whereas meditation is you're sitting or 
walking and it's more of a time sensitive thing, but they both build on the same skill of being present. Correct. Yes. Great. Um, and so the mindfulness journal, I found it really had a lot of like critical skills. Um, and you have a focus specifically on mental health. And I'm wondering if you can talk about, because we know that there's lots of different workbooks out there. And so can you kind of distinguish a little bit what made you choose to do the mindfulness journal for mental health specifically and how you feel like, how you feel like this journal kind of contributes to people's mental health? Sure. So this journal is actually sort of the culmination of both my years of practice as a therapist combined with my training, my personal experience, but also my, my training as a teacher for mindfulness meditation. So it was a way to bring the two together and to show people that mindfulness exercises and um, activities can help improve your mental health. And so what I was able to do in the book is take different types of suggestions I might make to somebody in therapy or a concept I might talk about with someone in therapy and put it into little segments where someone can read about it try some sort of approach it in some particular way. And then they also get the opportunity to write down their reflections and and to process what the experience was like. So it was really sort of a way to um, blend the two uh, domains of my experience, both personal and professional. So do you feel like the journal then gives people an aspect of what it's like to be in a therapy room as well? It's funny. I was, uh, I occasionally I'll look at the reviews and someone left a review on Amazon just saying like, it's like having a little therapist Mm. by your side as you go through it. I I think so. I I think I really tried to write it in a, as closely to how I would, how I speak to to someone in therapy. Um, I do a lot of psychoeducation in my therapy. I'm, I'm more active than maybe other therapists are. Um, and so I like to help people understand why um, it's our human nature to often have an automatic reaction to something. And so, so yes, I think it is little um, sort of tidbits of therapeutic ideas that I, I put into the journal. So that's great for people to kind of understand that for listeners to kind of be more curious about what it might be like to sit with you and have like their own little therapist in this journal. Um, So it makes me curious because you kind of have a very systematic way that you want people to kind of go through the journal. And it sounds like it's like emotions and then thoughts and then relationships are like the three segments that kind of make up the parts of it. Um, And I'm just wondering, because there's lots of different ideas out there and lots of different meditations and lots of different mindfulness practices that we can do. And I'm wondering how you decided what practices were the most important to include so that um, readers would benefit from doing the journal? That's a good question. Well, I felt like starting with emotions was important because if you are can't tolerate your emotions, what we typically do is when we are experiencing any kind of discomfort, physical discomfort associated with anger or sadness or confusion, whatever it might be, 
what we often do is have that difficult emotion. And then we either would try in some way to distance ourselves from it by either numbing ourselves or distracting ourselves or um, any number of ways that we cope. So by encouraging people in the first part, there's three parts to the book. And the, the part one is embrace your emotions. And they're just gentle exercises to try to help people again, stay present with whatever, whatever it is like in that section, there's a mindfulness of eating and it's just suggesting and encouraging people to kind of slowly slow down a little bit and pay more attention to what physical sensations, what emotions they're experiencing um, at any point in time. Once you're a little bit more comfortable with your emotions and you're not running away from them, you can actually take it to the next level and sort of say, what kind of thoughts do I have when I have this emotion? So for example, every time I get frustrated that I can't solve a math problem, I notice like I get really frustrated and upset. And if you can stay with that experience and I don't, you know, abandon the math problem and go walk away to watch TV or do something. If I can stay with that, I can say, why, what is making it so frustrating? I'm having trouble with the math, but what's going on? And when you get to that point, you start to realize, well, it's unpleasant that I don't know the answer or I'm struggling with this, but it's really unpleasant that I'm, I start to call myself stupid or I think, yeah, I'm, I'm terrible at math. I've never been good at math. In fact, I hate school. I hate, and all this, this whole different level that comes up with our thoughts. So as if our emotions aren't hard enough to deal with, we have those. And now we have a whole thought, or sometimes people say the story about whatever we're experiencing. And then the, the third part of the book, and this was sort of intentional was to get to like, when you manage your emotions better, when you're aware of the stories that you make up about whatever reactions you're having in any particular situation, and you get better at that, then you can be a better person. You can be enjoy, you know, better relationships with people because you start to notice what's happening with you and it makes you less prone to blaming another person. And it makes you more able to express what it is you might need or what it is you really need to say and to do it more thoughtfully. So it's kind of that mind-body connection. And I think society does have us eating lunch while we're on working, while we're skimming our phones and like doing multitasking, which none of us are really great at. So it's really trying to slow you down so you can be more aware of what's going on. Um, there's a saying by the Buddha that I love, and it's, it's kind of about the emotional piece. And it's like, can you invite all of the emotions in for tea? For whatever reason, I find that very soothing. Like you can invite anger in for tea just as much as we can invite joy in for tea. And that they probably have something to teach us and to tell us and like, what's happening? Why are we angry? Um, Right. Right. So another Another way that in my teacher training, we would talk about that is yes, making space for all of those, making space for all of them. Because if you don't ever face the enemy, you don't understand why the enemy is so problematic. Right. And I'm guessing a lot of listeners can relate to that idea of distracting 
from our feelings and our thoughts. And like, I mean, people do lots of different things. Like they do scan their phones, they use substances, you know, it can even be like exercise. It's when it starts to impede your life in a way that doesn't allow you to kind of move forward in a way that feels positive to you. So it sounds like some of these skills and slowing down um, and being more aware of what's going on can kind of also allow you to live more by your values of what's important to you. Would you say that's true? Yes, definitely. And um, yes, that's absolutely true. And there is one of the practices is in the second part, when you're really trying to get to your thoughts, there is a, an exercise on clarifying your values, mm-hmm. just to sort of get a sense of that. Um, because sometimes, you know, if you, you grew up in a culture where being really good at math was super important, that that would influence your thoughts. And so that's mm-hmm. part of the, the, the whole part on mindset. Um, but you're talking about something really important here too, because it's, it is about learning to slow down. Um, and it's also about what you just mentioned before the multitasking. It's also recognizing that you don't have to become radically different as a person to actually have better mental health. You don't even have to go for therapy per se, or you don't even really even have to meditate. You just, you need to learn how to enjoy what's already here in your life now. And so anytime you have a meal, that's an opportunity for you to get a positive sensory experience into your day, even, even making yourself a hot beverage and just, just learning in a way to not take everything for granted. I mean, we're, you know, you and I were in the United States and we're, we're lucky to be in a, a safe environment and, and to have things. So, you know, already acknowledging that it's a shame. We don't, we don't feel that sense of gratitude and appreciation because that's really the key way, the primary way to like, just be happier and, and the happier you are, the healthier you'll be. It makes me curious, Elizabeth, just um, if, if you're aware of like kind of the research of being more grateful and, and incorporating more positive attributes, because as we talked about, this is for mental health. And if you are aware of kind of how this journal does help people's mental health, like what it does do for individuals. Yes. In fact, I think I cite the, the work of, um, uh, David Hamilton in, in the book, I think it's one of the references or resources at the back. <clears throat> yes. Uh, whatever you pay attention to, you'll notice more and more. So it's, it's funny because, um, I can remember I got, I mean, it's old now, but I think it was 2013. I got a, a new RAV4 Toyota RAV4 car. And all of a sudden I was seeing RAV4s everywhere, everywhere. And when you, when you focus on something, like when I chose that particular car, all of a sudden I saw that everywhere. When you get an idea in your head, um, you tend to go out and look for evidence that confirms that idea. We call that actually confirmation bias. And it's, it's, so interesting to see how focusing on the positives and what you already have, how that 
alters the quality of your mood and your, and your day-to-day experience. Yeah. It makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't cost you anything. I mean, that's, that's the amazing thing. I, I've worked a lot with um, young moms. I mean, and that's a really hard time when you have to defer to your child's needs. And so, and I can remember myself as a young mom, people saying, well, you have to take better care of yourself and do more for yourself. And it was like, with what? I had no time, no money or whatever. So I wish I'd had something like this back then so that, and eventually I did get there, but to just realize like, okay, in the middle of chaos or whatever, you can actually just like duck into the bathroom and take a couple of deep breaths, or you can put some music on in the background and deal with the chaos of the late afternoon with children or whatever. So there's lots of things in this journal to, tr- to try out. And as you said, I did, it is structured like part one, part two, part three, and they sort of build on each other. And I, I suggest you go through it in order. That said, many people have told me that they have jumped around and found their own way to navigate it, which is completely fine. It, it, doesn't not have to be done sequentially. Um, and not everybody will, will connect with, you know, it's fine to leave uh, one entry blank or to mm-hmm. just skip over one practice. Um, one of the things about, you know, um, mindfulness is just be aware of what is helpful to you. And if it doesn't feel helpful to you, just let that go. And, you know, <laughs> like, I'm sort of a recovered perfectionist. And I can remember if I started reading a book, I made myself finish it. Like got to go through the whole thing. And I remember in my, you know, probably in my late twenties realizing like, if I don't want to finish this book, I don't have to finish this book. Like I'm not, I'm not in school anymore. Like I can just make these choices. And, and I encourage people to, they'll, they'll enjoy this better if they give themselves that, that freedom to just, do it in whatever way works for them. Well, it does lead me to an interesting question because I know a, a couple of times within the book, you kind of talk about don't have judgments, right? And they, it's kind of that idea of like, I have to read the whole book. I have to do every entry. I have to do this. And, and even in the idea of some of these mindfulness practices in a meditation, they say, don't have judgments. But I find that that can be really, really challenging for people. And oftentimes I hear from people that I work with as well as like, yeah, but I am judging myself. Like, do you have any, I guess, like tips or any um, ways to kind of be able to let go of that judgment when you're doing some of these exercises so that you can get the full benefit of the positive, like affirmations and the positive mindset? Yeah, it's interesting because I was actually in a therapy session with someone recently and we were talking about that and, and she was saying to me like, you know, I try to do, I'll try to like settle myself and at bedtime and just focus on my breathing and meditate and relax. And just like, I, I can't even, you know, I can't even do that. And, and I was saying to her, well, well, what comes up? And just, I have random thoughts and, and I can't even, can't even do that. Well, I, and I said to her, well, that will happen. You sh- can expect random thoughts to. <laughs> every single time. I mean, your mind is busy thinking all day long. It, it's your, it's the operating system. It's trying to keep you safe and it's helping guide and direct you and get you to the next event or activity. So that 
is not the goal of meditation. That's not the goal of being mindful. The goal is to notice, and, and as you said earlier, invite all those thoughts and feelings, invite it all in for tea rather than chasing them away. And when you judge or criticize, you're basically chasing away. I mean, if you judge or criticize friends or, or people you're interacting with, they'll go, they'll move away from you. And you can't have, you can't increase the quality of your mental health unless you can access all of your emotions because, and again, this is in part one of the journal. There's a section on our emotions as energy in motion. <clears throat> and every, every emotion is, it, it gives us the energy we need to make a decision. It, it gives us the energy we need to focus on something important to us. And the problem we have with things like anger or sadness is that we get, we get stuck on the stories that we make up about, about what's caused the sadness or what's caused the anger. It is part of the human experience to have sadness and joy and happiness. And I think, again, this is a societal thing. And from young children, you learn that like certain feelings maybe are not accepted in your household, right? Like if you're angry, go to your room and it's, it's, you're allowed to have anger. I think it's the actions that happen with anger that cause people to fear anger. Right. Yeah. That's right. And I think that just the discomfort with, because what anger, what anger really is about is there's, if you're feeling anger, there's some unmet need or some boundary violation that, you need to address. And it's not a matter of that in itself doesn't have to be problematic. In fact, that's the solution is to figure out what the unmet need is. And then you've got the, a way out of it. Right. So that's the emotion with the thought, right. Kind of putting those two pieces together. Then can then also improve the relationship. Cause if you're aware of what you do need, you're not taking it out on someone else or kind of looking at them. That's the reason that you're angry. So to go back again to your asking about, you know, how often, how people struggle with judgment, we do it to ourselves. And so, for example, if one of my children comes to me and tells me that, you know, they're angry that I arrived late to pick them up or for some event, if I have it in my head, like, it's not acceptable for me to be late, you know, like, that is not, if I'm judging myself, if I don't have room for myself to be an imperfect parent, then I have to defend myself and argue with my child and say, I wasn't late, or I have to blame somebody else and say, well, I wasn't late, but the traffic was terrible. Rather than if I'm not judgmental of myself and I say, oh, I was late and that's, that's okay. It's, I can better take ownership of that, take responsibility and hear that. But when there's so much pressure on, in this case, we're talking about parents to be perfect in some way and to like not inappropriately leave their child waiting, when there's all that pressure on, on us, we can't hear our child's anger and validate it, acknowledge it and accept it. And so we just perpetuate this whole thing, because then the child feels like, well, there's something wrong with me because I was mad at my mom or mad at my dad. And it just, that's, that's how you get into like generational trauma. 
That's a good point. I mean, as you talk about it, I mean, this kind of, um, I'm wondering if it would be helpful if you gave an example for the podcast to like inspire listeners on the positive changes that can occur from the journal. I know you said you, you try to, to write it as the way you would speak to someone in, in the room with you. And so, I mean, this might be a nice time to kind of like give an example of something that you've been able to see the change so that people understand a little bit more detailed. Sure. Sure. Well, I can use, you know, my own experiences, um, and, and say that, you know, there've been times when, you know, like in, I can tell you one time, uh, specifically my husband and I were kayaking once on a double kayak and I really like to kayak. And so I usually get my own kayak because, um, I'm a little more intense and, and into it. And this particular time, this was the only option we had. So we're in it together. And my, my husband's just laid back and he's doing his thing. And I'm trying to get us down the river. We're going to get down the river and turn around, come back. And I've got like a whole agenda. And so I immediately start saying to him, like, well, do you think you could like put the oar deeper in, go deeper? And, and, and then I'm like, well, could you watch how I'm going, like be on the opposite side, like don't paddle on the same side. I, I made about four or five comments in a row, all in the hopes that he was going to like straighten out his paddling. So he was going to get in sync with me. And I think I was being, I don't think I was being overly critical, but in general, the message he was getting was like, oh my God. And so he finally said, can you just stop? just stop. He said, he just, he got so frustrated. He said, stop. From the minute we got in this boat, all you've done is criticize me. And a part of me was like, Oh, wow. Like, I, I mean, I, I, so I stayed with my emotions and I, I felt like, Oh my gosh, I just got punched in the gut. And it, I just felt like this feels really awful. And then I, I was able to stay with my feelings, like what feels so awful. And I started to notice my thoughts like he shouldn't be talking to me like that. I didn't do anything wrong. I was just asking him to paddle differently. And then again, back to my feelings, I'm going to just dive into the water and swim back to the, I mean, I was all over the place and I just literally, in, this is all happening in seconds, just stayed with that experience and watched the random thoughts I had. You know, then I thought, well, if I say this to him, I think he's going to say this back. I mean, I started to go there. Like, well, if I tell him, like, you know, and so I just got back and I, I started to look around and after I ran through the thoughts and feelings and everything, I just looked around and I thought, we are so lucky. Here we are. I went back to gratitude. We're in this kayak. It was free. We got this kayak to use for free. We're in this beautiful river. The sun is shining. The weather's nice you know, and I just ended up saying, saying to him, you know, we got a beautiful day. We got a beautiful day to do this. And I'm, I'm glad. And it just sort of brought me back into the present and him back into the present. And we, we regrouped and we carried on. And I thought to myself, I still, still felt some anger. I have an unmet need. And I think, I know I knew that later on, I would talk to him and say, you know, when, if I'm being too pushy or too demanding, unless I'm being outright mean to you, I'd appreciate it if you were a little more thoughtful and 
gentle with me. That was my plan because the idea is not to become a doormat. I think people think, you know, you're going to meditate or become mindful. And now you're just like happy go lucky and anything goes. No, that don't advocate for that. Like I think if you've had an experience that you want to talk about, you should do so. And that was my plan. So I thought maybe after we had dinner, but when we went to sit down to have dinner, you know, at some point he looked at me and he said, you know, I was thinking about earlier today and I know you just wanted to have a nice experience. I'm really sorry that I was a little harsh with you. And I said, thank you. I'm, I'm really, I'm, I means a lot to me that you, that you noticed. And it means a lot to me that you said something because, you know, I was going to bring it up with you. And I also know you don't, you don't mean to, because the reality was I was, I, I mean, that's the part of it. I, I, from the moment I got in the boat, I had a comment about everything and I wasn't criticizing him. I was, but that's annoying. It was I, negative in a way, like it's not done yes. right, right? Yeah. Yes, I wasn't saying like, thanks for coming with me. And I wasn't saying, I was so, you know, again, I had to, I had to own that too, but mm-hmm. we can get so stuck on, yeah, I was being negative, but I was being negative. I wasn't doing anything wrong. Well, you know, that's all subjective, right? It is interesting that you talked about that idea of a doormat. Kristen Neff just wrote the new book, Fierce. And part of what she does talk a lot about in that book is this, which like, I know you have self-compassion in here and you mentioned her, but she does talk a lot about, she talks, she used the context of like the mama bear. Like when I'm a mama bear, I am not nice. And at the same time, I can recognize I'm not nice. And then I can like give myself self-compassion if I wasn't nice to someone about criticizing my son. And I'm able to then step away and like walk away. I don't have to like stay in that space. Part of that is like that mindfulness, right? That ability to kind of recognize that sometimes we do something or we say something that doesn't feel good. Or we recognize that we can be a little over the top or maybe we are being critical and we can take a step back and kind of say, this is a beautiful day. And kind of notice our surroundings, give ourselves that space to kind of recognize what path we're choosing to take. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. That's exactly right. So in the case of the kayaking, you know, by slowing down, because what often happens is, you know, the minute you have that experience, boom, like I could have seen myself immediately just if I was really tired, I might've started crying, like, well, you know, my feelings are hurt, start crying, or I might've yelled back, or I might've jumped out of the boat and swam to shore, or, you know, I could have done any number of things, but the, the point is, and what happens when you start practicing, and you can use all these little day-to-day op- opportunities to practice, you just start to realize like, okay, something just happened. I feel something, I feel something uncomfortable in my body. And then if you don't judge the feeling and you just make space for all the random thoughts and all the, all the possibilities, 
you know, and then I make space. I had to make space for the fact that maybe since, since we've gotten in the boat, I maybe haven't been critical, but I could understand that he felt that way because it was one, one comment after another. So again, it's back to that, like being compassionate. Exactly. No one is perfect. Nobody, nobody can avoid losing their patience. Nobody, no one. And so, I mean, that's, that's what's hard about being human. I mean, I think that's why this culture likes superheroes. Like, wouldn't it be great if we had superpowers? But unfortunately we don't. Our greatest superpower is our capacity to recognize that we were acting like a mama bear or we were, we were complaining a lot. And just our greatest superpower is to tolerate the discomfort that goes with just acknowledging what, what's happening in this moment, even when it's uncomfortable. Well, it makes me curious to ask a question about the mindfulness journal. And just, I know for myself, I always want to meditate. And people oftentimes will say, you have to meditate 20 minutes a day for it to really get the full effects of like, you know, being able to slow down and and do that. And I'm, I'm curious, like, and so I oftentimes then judge myself and I find that I don't do it. I have resistance to that, um, even though I can see the benefits when I do do it. Um, so that being said, is there a recommendation to get the full effects of this mindfulness journal? Like these are shorter practices that maybe we don't have to sit for 20 minutes, but there's like journaling and there's time. And I know that sometimes we start things and we don't finish them because we feel frustrated or we start judging ourselves or we feel like we're not doing it effectively. Is there a certain like recommendation that you have so that people that want to change the way they're looking at their emotions and their thoughts and then have an effect on their relationships would do this. Sure. And again, I think you want to do it with self-compassion and with, you know, a non-judgmental approach. So I would say just, you know, starting and looking at the emotions and the activities there and just trying out a couple, a couple of things and just something doesn't work for you or doesn't resonate, then just moving beyond it and not trying to perfectly, you know, do everything in a sequence that, you know, I would say that's a good way to do it. Um, None, some of these require, some of these are an actual meditation activity Mm -hmm. and some of them are, um, sort of structured ways to observe what's happening in the, in the present moment. Um, and I think the, the key is to just being open to noticing what works for you, what doesn't work for you. Um, and again, I'll use myself as a, an example in my uh, mindfulness meditation teacher training. We, we did, you know, that's when I started to really meditate every single day. And one of the things I struggled with was spending so much of the time meditating, thinking about all the things I was going to do when I wasn't, when I was done meditating. And, and I, I just had so much restlessness. And so I would sit there and just think, well, I'd have that feeling like I'm not very good at this. I don't know if I can do it. And is it even worth it if I'm just sitting here? And then remember, you know, my mentor just said to me, so sit with that make space for that. Just sit there and just get really comfortable being restless. So just, 
and I can't tell you, it would go on and on and on and on and on. And I just thought, all right, so this is my work. This is my, I'm going to sit here with restlessness. And so that's observing what my experience is in the present moment as I'm trying. What meditation gives you an opportunity to do is it's when you meditate, what you're doing is you're, you're committing some time to the practice of sitting there, noticing what, whatever comes up for you, whether it's restlessness, sadness, frustration, whatever. And then over and over again, in the way you would try to build a muscle by lifting weights over and over again, what you do instead of lifting a weight, you notice, and then you bring your attention back to an anchor of some sort, whether it, you know, most people will use their breath, but for, for me, it would sometimes be more helpful for me to focus on the feeling of my body, like sitting on a cushion and my feet on the floor. To me, that would sometimes be, because even with the breath, I'd be like, I'm not breathing right. <laughs> or I don't, I don't, I can't like they're counting and I'm, I've already started exhaling. You know, I had, I had trouble with that part too. So again, it's like, it's just committing to putting some time aside to just sit with whatever you are experiencing. Because again, the fact that I did that over and over again was what eventually led me to be calmer in the kayak and just be like, oh yeah, I know how to sit here and, and not jump up and start sending emails. Like I had practiced sitting through and tolerating the urge to get up and abandon and not do, not do what I really wanted to do. And that's the power. That's, that's what meditation, that's meditation is, that's what meditation really helps with. Whereas again, mindfulness is a little bit more about being very present and aware the meditation part is the repeated exercise of coming back, coming back and coming back, which is, you know, kind of the, in some ways inhibiting the reactivity that we bring to life. Well, I wonder if it would be useful and it would have to be a shorter one because I realize we're on a podcast, but like if you walked us through one. Sure. Sure. Did you have one in mind? One that you liked? No, I mean, I like some of the self-compassion ones. Cause I think those are, um, you've talked a lot about self-compassion. I don't know that everyone always kind of understands what that entails or what that means. Um, so that could be a nice one, or if there's one that you really like that you want to walk us through, that would be fine too. Um, well, I just opened up to a page, so maybe I'll okay. take yeah. it from whatever page just open and the, this just to, just to, for listeners to see that it can be as simple as this. There's this is on page ninety seven. It's just this is the suggestion, the practice, or the exercise is just cues for mindful moments. So going back to like what you were saying, if there's someone out there who's frustrated, tried to meditate and it's not going well, what's another approach to developing this capacity? So I'm just going to read this section of the book. Is cues for mindful moments. Research on habit formation indicates that cues can serve as helpful reminders to do our desired behavior. We can use this technique to remember to be mindful. When choosing a mindfulness cue, you have plenty of options in any regular day. Consider using washing your hands, answering a message, eating a meal or snack, 
or getting in and out of a vehicle. Anything you do multiple times a day will work. Once you've chosen a cue, commit to using it as a reminder to pause for a moment of mindfulness. You can spend the moment in any way that feels calming to you. You might take two or three deep breaths, you might do some stretching, or you might recite some positive affirmations or think of a favorite poem. And then in the journal, I say like, what cue did you choose? How did you use your mindful moment? So some of this is sort of like a, oh, some of these activities are like a, a warm up for making yourself um, better prepared to sit with med and meditate. There, it's just like saying like, okay, every time um, I hear a ding, whether it's a notification on my phone or whatever, I'm just going to say, close my eyes and just take a deep breath. Just close my eyes or just every time, um, you know, I hear water running, I'm going to just take a look around and, and take in the colors of the room, or I'm just going to remember, isn't it, aren't we fortunate to live in a country that's not, you know, in the middle of a war. So it, it's really just, you know, the journal's full of all these different ways that you can try to connect to the present moment, feel more appreciation for what you already have in your life and to slow down our automatic, we, we have this automatic instinct to sort of fight or say, no, no, I don't want that. No, I don't like that. I don't say that, don't do that. Don't, whether it comes to ourselves or people we're interacting with. Mm -hmm. Thank you, that was lovely. I'm curious, like, as you talk about doing these exercises and as you were picking them, did you find yourself learning new things or surprised as you were writing the journal? That was the fun. The fun part for me was that I, I have so many, I had to cut. So the fun part for me was, was being able to put these all together and put them have them packaged up in a way that can go out there to people because um, there are many, many things for me to still learn, but I have files full of different. So for, for me, the hard part was choosing. That was, that was the most difficult part was that, you know, there were limits on how much could go into a, you know, a, a book that was a reasonable size. And so I would say that was the more difficult thing was, you know, how, how to choose. And again, having the three different parts helped because that gave some structure to the decisions and, and clustering them together. But, and then some of the things that I really wanted to include in here, I found were probably too complicated for this format, you know, they, that they would require a longer talk or, a different type of book that goes into, into things in more detail. But this is really sort of an introductory type of book and it's um, intended to help people learn little snippets, but then learn through their own experience. You know, we call that experiential learning, like mm -hmm. by processing and reflecting um, because there's no right or wrong answer. There's no right or wrong way to be mindful. Right. And I'm just like, as we're winding down, do you have recommendations? So someone does this book and they complete it. 
and they're interested in kind of continuing in some capacity, do you have recommendations for individuals when they complete the mindfulness journal? Yes, I would say, I would say that, and, and again, one of the reasons why this was so rewarding for me to work on is that you have to practice something on a regular basis, or you'll go back to our default mode, which in our culture is the messages that come to us on a daily basis from television advertisement, magazines, billboards, uh, teachers, the rules and regulations are all very judgmental. Do this, don't do that. And it's, it's really stifling and it doesn't foster a sense of self-compassion. Um, and it doesn't really foster being present at the end of a day. If, if you've been criticized, you just want to go home and have, have a drink, turn on the TV and just, just escape and get, get away from it all because you know, the next day it's going to start over again. So if you really find some of these helpful, then you want to find a, an app that you can download on your phone or um, a podcast that you like to listen to, or more and more, you can find groups that you can join in, that you can um, meet with on a regular basis to practice together. You need something that will support you and sustain some of this activity because it's like physical fitness. You know, if you only go to the gym once, then you're not going to get long-term benefits. So so I would recommend, you know, just getting on the internet and find, because again, it's whatever is going to work best for you. The other thing is this is a whole variety of exercises and you can do something I do every day. I got a little mindfulness exercise I do every day. I just, when I make my bed and make my bed up is if I try to remember the, how I felt when I got the brand new comforter. I remember being, I remember being at the store Marshall's and being like, Oh, great. This is nice white comfort. This is what I was looking for. And you know, when you put something, you just like, Oh, I want to get home, put it, see how it looks on the bed. I try to, I bring up that memory every time. And I try to say like, I'm so happy to have this comforter and I love this bed and I put the pillows on. Whereas, you know, I, I used to have in my head, my husband's voice, which was like, why do we have so many pillows? This is <laughs> and then, you know, I mean, so there, there are a lot of things or sometimes people will do take like taking a shower, you know, just so that that's another way. And so I would say to people, like, that's also part of the journal. Ex- notice what you enjoyed doing. That's part of the journaling part is like find, hopefully you'll find a few things in here that you can incorporate into your daily life. These things don't require any special equipment or outfits or, and, and, and they don't take a lot of time. Well, Elizabeth, I think it's such a nice thing to, especially given the way the world's been like with pandemics and wars and political strife and all of those things that, you know, we're bombarded with to kind of try to build skills that do help us see the joy in the world and see the pleasure in the world and kind of be able to reconnect with that again. Um, I know I've enjoyed like kind of going through some of these exercises and thinking about them and thinking what I am grateful for and how that feels. And it definitely does make a difference in the way you kind of perceive the world. Yeah. And that's the best part. That's, and and that's another reason why I really was interested in, in doing this because as someone like you who 
primarily works with individuals and couples in therapy, I had this desire to share some of what I've learned with more people. And as I said, it's, it's really not just about mindfulness or meditation. It's also about like the therapeutic benefits, how, how it helps, you know, your mental health and helps you deal with your emotions and your, and your thinking and your relationships. So it was really, really a rewarding project. I'm so glad. And thank you so much for taking the time today to like meet with me and to have this conversation. Um, I wish you the best of luck is, is, you know, with your mindfulness journeys. Um, and until next time. Thank you, Christy.